0: Lifeway. Lifeway. LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network Alright, you're listening to the 5 Leadership Questions Podcast I'm your host Todd Atkins. Uh, we're doing take two of this podcast you know what we just started too silly last time anyway uh, i have a co-host today and it is uh mr ben mandrell who is my boss's boss the ceo of lifeway um and and i consider it an honor sir that you continue um to have a desire to be a part of this podcast after some of the shenanigans that happened. uh but no doubt there will continue to be shenanigans today because our guest today is Brad Lomenick.
1: Bam! I'm back, baby. I'm back. It's been too long. I'm here to disrupt and disorient. That's my job. <laughs> so far, you've done a yeoman's job, my friend. Yeah. Well, we tried to get on some other some other technology that Chandler of Hanoi had recommended, and he needs to be demoted based on his recommendation of a of the previous technology. Uh, we can, we could potentially make that happen. Now, um, By the way, Todd, are you, the, are you, is, is Ben your, the, the boss of your boss or is he the boss of your boss's boss? And are you the assistant to the regional manager or are you the assistant regional manager?
0: I I, I had to go back and check my TPS report.
1: <laughs> uh, well, we got the big dog. We got the big dog here. This with us. is true. This well, is true. it's
2: great to be on the show with you, Brad, because as I said before, I, Was greatly impacted by Catalyst, and I'm super interested to hear a little bit about the origin and genesis of that movement and what God did through that thing. Because, man, it blew up. It was
1: amazing. Yeah, we were all holding on, just trying to steer the ship in the right direction. I'll say that. Uh, So, do we have we have an opportunity to just jump
2: right in here, Todd? Because I really want to hear this story. Like, I, I was just talking with Brad a little bit before we hopped on here. I was just like, hey, was there a moment when you were like? Oh my goodness! This thing is more than a conference. This thing is like taking on a life of its own. God is breathing on this thing. Can you trace it back at all, Brad, to some key moments? Because yeah. there's got to be thousands of people that, that that maybe some of those are listening in today, and they can remember
1: how you know how huge that that deal was. I I think year one. I mean, we looked around the room at North Point, and there was maybe fourteen hundred or fifteen hundred leaders there. And we just looked around and thought, okay, we we have a collection of leaders who can change the world. And everybody, not that everybody looked the same, that's not the way to describe it, but everybody was young. And I think sometimes we, we go to these events and the promise is that it's gonna be a young leaders conference. And then you show up and you're like the only one that's young, but we looked around and thought, this is a group. I mean, Todd was there, like he remembers, like you just, you looked around the room and thought, Okay, we can do the next twenty or thirty years. This this group of leaders is is going to impact generations. Um, and then I would say two thousand three when we moved from North Point to Gwinnett Arena. And you know when you when you shift from a smaller environment, I mean North Point's still pretty big, but you go from a, a church to a public arena, and you've you're, you're trying to fill up you know five or six thousand seats. And I remember the the opener was so powerful that year. Uh and you know we were all like standing there our team watching this thing unfold and the songs and people singing and we were all like crying and it just felt like this is something that again we're not smart enough to figure out god has put us in place you know that we 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 see vision we're not even sure how to describe that vision but we see that it's going to for the next decade or so, who knows how long at that point, we could, uh, we could really like make a difference. So, and there's other, you know, there's other moments. I mean, the Bill Bright moment, Todd, you remember that? Yeah. Gosh, that was year one and him praying over us. This, it was his last public, um, uh, event where he actually showed up and him and John Maxwell, like having this moment, it was just really powerful.
2: Man, don't you wish you could take that feeling of euphoria when you sense that God is doing something bigger than you ever dreamed and just put it in a bottle? Because, I mean, preachers and communicators talk about, like, there's these moments when you're preaching in a sermon and then all of a sudden it just takes on this life of its own and you're almost watching yourself communicate because it's smart, it's coming out smarter than you ever could have written it on paper. Like, those are the moments you live for in ministry.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And there there was also, I think, this this deep um, conviction and and I would say like passion that we wanted to we wanted to bring the worlds of the church leadership young leaders and also um, Jesus like those all those things into one place where we could bring all the different tribes and streams together and the the great thing about Catalyst over the years was it was a place where everybody felt safe and you know whether you were whether, whether you were from this stream or, the, or that stream, the farthest extremes all looked at, at catalysts. As, oh, well, we could go to that. Like, you know, our, our bosses, bosses, boss, will let us go because it's okay. And so we were attracting this really, really broad group that were coming at leadership, coming at the church, coming at theology, coming at, um, you know, their approach to how they influence people from such different vantage points, but we all came together uh, and not because of the callous name. It was just this sense that we gave, I think we gave people permission to, to feel like they could get along. And even sometimes the speakers, that was one of the things for me that was always fun was to see two speakers in the green room who, who, you know, maybe a month before had been at each other's necks on, you know, online or about some issue. And then they've never met in person and they actually connect backstage and then they realize I actually kind of like that person. So we could bring voices together, too, you know, that probably wouldn't show up at another time. You were there.
0: Yeah, I was there there, the
1: very first one,
0: very first one. uh, I was there for like the first six, I think, and took a little uh, Brad and I've had in-depth conversations on this. And when I thought it went off the rails, because I'm fairly I remember the year. Yeah. Um, but, uh, no, it was, so what was so amazing about it is you had Bill Bright, you had Doc, you had Howard Hendricks. And so uh, it's amazing because I think a part of what it was, was everybody was coming in, in part for practice. Uh, and I mean, Cal's was one of the first that had like labs and, and, and stuff like that, but going back to that whole thing with, you know, Doc is up on stage and he's basically, you know, reteaching living by the book. Uh, if you haven't read that book then, or you don't recommend it to new believers and mature believers, uh, need to reread it. But man, I mean, so he said stuff like have a daily quiet time. And you see all these guys that are like, you know, pin in hand and they're like, it's Howard Hendricks who's saying it. And he's, you know, he's the coolest guy ever. He's got some of the best one-liners ever. Um, Oh, man, it was just unbelievable. But the Bill Bright moment, I when you say that, I remember it. And, you know, I actually you can see I still the hair stands up on my arm uh, from that. And it I mean, it was a pivotal moment for me and who I am today because it gave me permission to I feel like focus on leadership and focus on maybe some more strategy pieces, um, uh, of, of church life. Because at the time I was immersed, I was a student at, at Southern and, you know, I was in the, uh, leadership school minister red kind of school, but I still have my Greek and Hebrew guys. Um, I was immersed in all that. And it was just like an, a breath of, of fresh air. And you're right, because you saw people from Uh, multiple denominations, multiple tribes. uh, And it was just a place um, that I think people were coming to learn. And honestly, I think that may have been the first place where I was exposed to a lot of business books that were applied to a ministry perspective. And that, you know, again, just opened up an amazing amount of uh, opportunity for me to now say, oh, it's okay." for me to read these business books and then apply them to, you know, church life. There's, there's a lot that I can learn from leadership engine, you know, and, and, and apply over here. Oh, 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 okay. So a leadership engine is where you have a virtuous cycle of learning and teaching. I mean, you know, all these things, uh, Blanchard, I mean, you know, all these great Christians who you didn't know they were Christian. You just thought they were great businessmen. Um, it was just a mix of, you know, businessmen and authors and speakers and thought leaders and pastors. And I, I just loved that um that mashup. So
1: were you Ben, were you part of any of the in the gatherings, the the conferences? Absolutely. Over the years? Yeah. yeah,
2: I came to several. You know, the one that stands out to me was <laughs> I'll never forget this moment. Um something happened with Patrick Lencioni. He was 2008. giving he was giving a talk yeah. and I'm a huge fan of his, by the way, huge yeah. fan of his. He forgot his talk. It was a brand new was, talk. He was, yeah. The first time he we ever delivered. he told us that up front, but he got about, you know, 10 minutes in and just stopped and said, guys, I, I don't know where I was going with that story and started over and everyone kind of laughed, but then he did it again. Yeah. And I could tell like the audience was getting really uncomfortable. And I mean, it was, I've never seen it kind of come off the rails like that before for a speaker. It's like everybody's worst nightmare.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I remember that moment. And Pat was very like vulnerable and honest about it. You know, I mean, he, and that's, that's his style anyway. He, he'll, he'll always, you know, he, he always talks about he'll, if somebody sneezes, he'll say, God bless you in a, in a, you know, in an arena of 12,000 people, he'll still like stop because he's so very distracted. interactive. Yeah,
2: You oh, know, one of the questions yeah. I have, Brad, like you've obviously seen Catalyst kind of, you know, with all of its ups and downs and, you know, movements do that. And, you know, you just think about things like promise keepers. We think about passion. We think about Catalyst. Like what what have you learned over the years about these kinds of movements and the value they bring? Like what, like if you could kind of write the book on all that you experienced and some key things that came out of that, like what do
1: you, what do you take away from all that? Well, we said it earlier. I mean... I think especially Christian movements or things that are based, you know, in the kingdom of God and and they're God breathed, like you can't control that. We, we can't, that's why I would never say that I was smart enough to, to, you know, figure out or our team was how to grow catalyst. I mean, I, it, that's just, that would be, that would be obnoxious and arrogant for me to say. So if something's God breathed, just hold on, you know, um, and i think passion is a great example. i mean promise keepers great example. I, the other thing is that that movements have seasons. and nobody wants to mm. m- nobody wants to see a movement end, but i think there is and you know there's a there's a season to movements and it's okay that they that they wrap up or they conclude or they they stop. and sometimes we especially those of us who are leading those movements at that point, when you have to make that decision, you don't want to be the last person on the ship who who says, "Oh, it's going down." So, is that is that my fault? And you know, I, I don't know who is I don't know who gets permission or who gets acknowledged for this quote, but I've, I've heard Craig Rochelle say it many times. So let's just give it to Craig. You know, if if you if you think that success is your is because of you, then what about when something fails? Is that also because of you? And we, we have to remove ourselves from, from the idea that, you know, whether it grows or whether it stops, um, you know, that's, that's because of me as the point leader. And I, I just think we got to give more movements permission to, to stop mm. because th- this is true in not just movements. It's true in organizations. It's true in churches. It's true in nonprofits and people go, wait, that thing's still around. And Man, sometimes it just kind of move like along. speaking
2: our language. Right now at Lifeway, obviously, we just moved out of a season where we had 174 bookstores and, you know, an organization that was known largely for its presence in those communities. And by the way, we had an online store kind of thing. And Todd, I mean, you're seeing the whole thing become... I mean, there's a whole new season at Lifeway and we've got to embrace it. Like the world is moving digital. The world is moving to new environments. They still want to learn, but they want to learn different formats, different delivery methods. But man, it's hard to get out of that old season mindset. Let's, let's go back and try to bring something back that we once had versus build something new. How are you, how are you moving forward now, Brad? Like
1: with, with this new season, what's on your mind? For me personally, or just in general? Yeah. Yeah, Like where are you headed now? I mean, I, you know, I, the, the, the five leadership questions, Lifeway leadership community knows some of my story, you know, I stepped out of, of running the day to day and, and leading catalyst several years ago. And for the, so for the last six years, I've been, I've been in the shadows much more. I mean, I've been behind the scenes. I've been, I would say, advising organizations and gathering the organizations and the leaders who then put on the big events. So instead of putting on the events, I'm now like working with the leaders who put on the events. And I went from gathering thousands to now gathering tens who gather thousands. And so that's been an incredible season for me. And all that to say the, the current realities of where I see influence is definitely in the curation side of things. Uh, It's definitely in the smaller invite only uh, much more strategic. So if twenty years ago, you know, we were we were gathering thousands of leaders, and that that felt like the vision uh, to 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 have impact. I think now it's it's much more. Let's gather the hundred, and let's make it strategic and conversational, and communal. You know, let let's let's create peer based learning environment. Let's 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 move from that. It's all about the content at a big conference that's you know inspirational and anthemic and let's let's move towards it's much more about the conversation at the dinner table around you know with with 10 leaders and and then we're you know we're trading insight and and expertise and that that's just a that's a new season of of how you when i look at the way i try to connect and gather and influence leaders i'm not saying that big events are done but i am saying that going forward i feel like the leaders that are truly the innovators and impactors and, and change makers, they would rather gather in environments that are smaller and more more curated. Um, And that, because that's just where the energy seems to be today. And, you know, so again, you look at passion, I mean, passion is always potentially always going to have the opportunity to gather college students because there's a new crop of college students coming in every year that are freshmen, you know, which is great. I mean, so there was there, there still will be anomalies and asterisks probably next to many big conferences. Um, cause God will continue to use those, but I'm, a, I'm trying to put my energy into a little bit more of the strategic smaller venue. And I think what's, uh, I think right what's
0: here. really interesting is uh, for me, if I look back, you know, in my life at a or life and ministry at a larger church, it was those smaller groups, even within the church that had the most influence and impact when I would gather rather than, you know, Hey, it's super Saturday. And, you know, we've got hundreds of people here. Um, it was those strategic trips sometimes that we would take, um, uh, but really those strategic gatherings that would just be at somebody's house that made the most ministry impact, you know, you would get more, um, I guess, relational capital and change in my pocket, um, with my leaders that way, because they influence the other leaders. Yeah. Uh, and so you know, for those listening who are, are like, okay, this is great. And man, this is a great story. How does this apply to my life? Well, that's it because it doesn't matter. Um, you know, Brad, you curate leaders, uh, or not curate, you bring leaders together on an amazing level, uh, and have for years and years. And what, um, I think we've only talked about it one time on the podcast, but you know, you have kept a list for now decades, uh, you've created kind of a monthly—I think it was monthly—list of hey, here's here's a top ten of young leaders you should know, and those leaders, some of them are in their fifties, forties, and fifties now, right? Uh, yeah. and, and so it's just wild. Uh, it's wild to think. So uh, yeah, I mean, right now, who are you? Who are you learning from, and how are you gathering those? I guess. Before I ask who you're learning from, um, I would say, how are you gathering those people together today?
1: Well, just and by the way, on the I started that young influencers list in 2008. So I'm now a thousand a a thousand leaders in over 12 years who I have put on the blog and tried to identify. And the reason I started doing it is because I wanted to know the exercise of me, like feeling the weight and accountability to post it was forcing me to actually be a student of who are the who's the next generation that I need to be using my platform to, to bring some you know, exposure to. Um, and, and also just one more thing on the practical side, before I get to your question, because a lot of people who are listening are like, right, that's great, you led Catalyst, who cares? Like I'm, I'm a pastor in a local small town, what do I need to do? And, and I would say this again, God, God will breathe local arguably may, maybe more in this next season than perhaps that will happen international or global or even national. So if, if you, if you believe that you have been given a sphere of influence to make a difference in, then, then find the, the, the ability to see that you can actually like move the needle in your local city, your local community, you know, your local neighborhood, um, movements don't have to be global in nature. They can be neighborly in nature and still be ins- incredibly God-breathed. So, just to add that context uh, to your question, Todd who who am I learning from or who am I watching? Is that is that is that where you wanted to go?
0: Well, you know, ha- how has you were you were going into? You know, you see your next phase in life as bringing smaller groups of guys together. I was yeah. I was asking what that looks like, but you've oh, kind okay. of talked about that a little bit. Um, well,
1: it it definitely looks like um, trying to be really strategic about about helping organizations as well as doing some of these on my own where i'm going to get 10 20 40 maybe even up to 100 leaders together and uh, it's it, it the, the again the, the the i think the the value of it is that i get to play the curator and so whenever I then invite leaders to be a part of these gatherings, they trust me. And they say, I don't even know who else is gonna be there, but I'll come because you're inviting me. And this is, this is huge, leaders like, and again, think local, think in your community. Uh, why can't a pastor of you know, so-and-so Baptist Church in Des Moines, what, why can't you be the curator of the, of the influencers in your, in your city? and bring them together around a com- around a topic that will help you know lift the li- lift the the tide of all the leaders that that are part of that so but they have to trust you and trust is built on relationship it's built on on delivering over time so uh, they trust me and then once we get there the power is in the group this is huge too so if if you're thinking you know you're going to show up and be the the expert i mean you might be you might know you, you might be the greatest communicator or teacher or expositor of the scriptures or uh, you know the the expert on how to build community or make make change in your city. But when you gather influencers, let them be the center of the conversation. And so your job is to step back and say, I'm gonna curate a conversation that you're gonna be the you're gonna be the experts in. And this is hard for a lot of us because again, we feel like, well, if I invited you, are you, aren't you just here to like, listen to me teach? No. Cause everybody remembers the conversation or the group or the dynamic where they, they get to talk. And, and that's what we want. That's the power of a curated group is there's conversation that happens. So don't get a group together of small strategic influencers and then create the same experience that you would in an arena with 12,000 people, because they're going to look at that and go, I could have watched this on zoom or I could have watched this on YouTube. You know, so we have to think, and this is true for pastors and churches, the experiences we're creating, how are they different? Again, unique customized from what I can get from content that's readily available at all times now for free. And, and, I, this is uh, this is part of the reason for the transition of the season from conferences, because conferences primarily have, have always delivered one thing and one thing only for the most part, which is content. And now content's a commodity. I can get it anywhere. And so that's why people look at conferences and go, well, I love you. I love your brand. I love your heart. I love your passion. But why should I show up? Because... You're offering me in that conference setting what I can get by setting in my, you know, in my office at home. So how are you different in the experience you create compared to just delivering content that is a commodity now?
2: You know, that's really an incredible point because I remember, and some of this may be decade-ish for me, like in my 20s, I wanted to go sit in uh, like a big room full of people and just get somebody up there on the stage. And I was just soaking it up, man. I just... Andy Stanley, you know, whoever, just I want to soak it up. I was a sponge. But I do remember there was this shift, I think maybe in my early thirties where I actually never went into the room and just bought the DVDs. Like I, I just was out in the
1: hallway because <laughs> I had certain questions.
2: I had questions burning. And so it, the change
1: happened for me. Yeah. that I mean, I noticed that Ben, like over the years of, of again, of leading Catalysts is at some point all, the, all of my friends, they would say, I love you. And I I I appreciate what you're leading, but unless you're going to, unless you're going to create something different for me, I'm probably not going to come this year. And so I wouldn't, we would, I would create a whole event backstage with friends because my job then was to say, and not because they're exclusive and because they're the cool kids. It's not that, but more because just what you said, like they were looking for a different experience and uh, uh, you know, I think it's true in in your leadership journey. At some point you, you have different questions. You, you don't want to just listen to the talk. You want to interact with the speaker. You want to ask questions. You want to, you want to be able to say, well, hold on a second, Andy Stanley. Uh, What, what did you mean by that? You know? And so this is, this is where we're going as communicators and teachers is that if we're not creating some sort of interaction with people that we're teaching, then it's going to be hard for them to stay engaged because because they just, you know, they look at that and go, well, I can get that anywhere. And I can get that from anybody, anytime for that matter.
2: Todd, the first time I got to really engage with you, you were leading a leadership pipeline event with some church leaders. And man, you did an incredible job of just facilitating conversation. And I walked away from that event. I told you this, like it was one of the most helpful things I ever went to because you did not try to be the sage on the stage you just tried to make sure the right questions were being raised in the room and could be discussed around each table. So I'm assuming that what Brad's talking about right now really resonates with you. This is something you've been working on for years.
0: Totally. Um, the reason why we don't do a large pipeline event anymore is because we ran out of coaching space and then we couldn't sell pipeline because what we figured (laughs) out was, um, people were coming for the coaching and the, the conference was the add on. It wasn't the other way. It wasn't, I'm coming for the conference and then I want to add on, you know, two coaching days. It was, no, I want the coaching days and I'm bringing my team. Um, I don't, yeah. and some, they wouldn't even half the time they wouldn't even show up or I'd have them in a, a pre. So we would, we ended up stacking coaching before and after pipeline and you'd have guys come up to you at the end of the day um, the first day talk about, you know, Hey, I'd love to follow up with you, whatever. Hey, just so you know, we're not coming to the conference or uh, at lunch at the conference, they'd be like, we're, we're ducking out. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You've got, uh, you know, Carrie Newhoff and John Piper are coming. When are you going to have a stage that has both Carrie? and they didn't care. Yeah, They were like, we're going to go hang out in Nashville and talk about, you know, some of the stuff that, um, that uh we learned yesterday and could you recommend a couple good places to eat
1: <laughs> content guys con- content draws content is might be the draw but the conversation the connections is what retains people and and this is this is a that's that's the conference world but it's also anything anytime you're trying to gather leaders you know I mean it, this is why conferences still they're they're putting like the speaker line up as the, as the main thing, you know, and people go, Ooh, Ooh, look at that speaker lineup. And so I might say yes to a ticket, but then when I get there, the, the, the conversations in the hallway, the, the, you know, the fact that you get to meet that speaker and ask him a question or two the, the the team environment, I mean, this is, this is still, if you're, if you're thinking about, well, how do you make a conference unique? If, if a team is showing up and now that team is interacting with each other, they, they, half the time they don't even come to a session. They'll just say, Hey, we got to go talk about this topic. And, you know, they skip the next three sessions because they're all hanging out at some restaurant. So um, I think that's where, again, where the, where the uniqueness is with, with gathering people is that you're, you're, you're creating community, you're creating conversation you're, you're creating connection, but it's, that's the really hard part because everybody talks about that, but nobody really truly does it really well. At, at most conferences?
0: I think what might be interesting too is, you know, if I look back on some of the things that I just did, and believe me, I did a lot of things intuitively that uh, I made a lot of dumb uh, decisions intuitively from a leadership perspective, things like that. So I'm not saying, oh, I'm, I'm smart. There were some things that I did intuitively though, that um, I would now say I do intentionally or people should do intentionally. One of those was um, when I gathered people together, I did make sure my agenda, it wasn't my agenda, it was uh, them understanding you are my agenda. Um, But I think it happens both in the sacred and secular, meaning some of the best uh, communities or uh, leadership things that I was a part of came through a chamber of commerce. It was where um, you know I just started showing up to those and then um, speaking into those. So even here locally, Williamson County, you know, Franklin Chamber of Commerce, um, I've I've done three sessions there just because I want to be connected to the community, community leaders, all those things. And it was something that I ended up figuring out, you know, ten years ago, in, intuitively, that oh, when I have an egress issue um, it's probably going to be one of these guys that I can call that is either, either it's him or he knows a guy that can help me with my church. Chris. <laughs> uh, but beyond that, that was where some of my best ministry was done. Hmm. Cause people knew I was, they knew I was a pastor, but I was a different kind of pastor than they were used to, first of all. And second of all, you know, they, some of them didn't go to church and when their life fell apart or their marriage fell apart or whatever happened, I was the only pastor they knew. And so
1: it was, man, it was just a blessing. So, um, get outside your comfort zone. That's what I hear you saying, Todd, but no,
0: yes, but it's going back to that, uh, intentionally gathering people and making the agenda about them because yep. we can, we can gather people together and give a great talk or give a great leadership thing, or, you know, even have, a, even have them walk through a great process. But what I think, what you're saying is um, is every every person in that room, God has given a different experience and different um, uh, uh, different journey, and they all have a unique perspective. None of us is as smart as as all of us. So let's get them in a room and have the 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 agenda be bringing out what is there? And, you know, some stuff may be said that, that we, uh, we don't agree with, or it may be, um, we think
1: it's bad advice or, or whatever. And we can deal with that. that. What? I I was going to say, I'll give you another example too, if you go for it. Uh, and I've seen this in a, in a couple of churches, that the power of, of gathering and however you want to define this is fine with me, but let's just say you're gathering your leaders so let's say you got let's say you got fifty leaders in your church that are strategic leaders, whether they're volunteer leaders, they're uh, large givers, donors. They they carry weight. Um, get them together a couple of times a year, three or four times a year, just to connect with each other, and not to teach them. I mean, you can do a little teaching if you want, but just get them together for maybe a breakfast or lunch, just to connect with each other, and you'll notice that a lot of them probably don't even know each other. You set them at tables with each other. Uh, You might and be strategic about who you're setting, who you're setting at tables. But watch what happens when you again to your point, Todd. You make them the the focus. They're your customer in that in that lunch, and the whole goal is just to say, I want you to find two or three new friends who are part of our church that you may you may not even know, and we're just going to make it about you. Thank you for serving. Thank you for being part of our house. Thank you for. Your contributions this year. Um, But let that just be, you know, one example of the way that you see that you're going to find as many ways as possible to curate, again, curate groups of people that should be connected to each other, even within your congregation. Because you might assume as a pastor, oh, they know each other. They've, they know, like they've talked and they're like, never met them. Didn't even know they were in part of our church. Let me
2: ask you guys this question, because, you know, having been a pastor for 17 years, I just know time was always the deficit, man. I just wish I had more time with all my leaders. And then, you know, you come out of seminary and it's preach the word in season and out of season, just preach well and the church will grow. And, you know, Adrian Rogers says, used to say that, I, you know, you develop the message, God will develop the ministry. It feels to me like the new season of leadership in the local church is a pretty good hybrid between communicating well and gathering strategic leaders. Like you you just can't, simply preach awesome sermons and pastor well. Uh, you have to get the right people in a room and create community at a level of discussion that they want to talk about. I don't know that we're like fully equipped to do that well in the church today. like I think we're we're coming out of a season where the pulpit was such the focus. but i I see the shift happening. Do you see this happening in the front lines also?
0: Todd? Well, I mean, you know, a blessing of my job is I get to talk to pastors pretty much every day. And I would say there is a shift. You've already, you saw it happen before COVID where people were talking more and more about mid-sized community or regional communities in large, I'm talking like mega megas, but that's a reflection of the way church was 60, 70 years ago, where you know, you kind of max out at 150, 300 is just massive, you know, back, back then. And so I think part of it is if you go back to the psychology of, uh, even social media and what was hard baked in early on was, Hey, you can really only have about 150 people that you, that, you know, it, it kind of bore out in, you know, just natural gatherings of, um, specific numbers of, of of people. So all that to say, I think it will be really strategic for pastors and churches to look at the different types of groups that they gather and um, being as intentional as possible with both um, the environment and then the leaders within because people the people within whatever group it is are, are really what makes up the group dynamic and the group culture. And you want that to be as healthy as possible um, so that people stick to it because people are going to be stickier than you're preaching uh, any day of the week. Um, And that's even more so, I think, moving, uh, moving forward, because everybody's gotten used to, you know, going to church online and we would say, man um it it isn't yeah it's not the same and 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 we kind of know that but it will be a lot easier for people to um come less often and it will be a lot easier for people to decide when they want to hear the sermon um when they want to engage you know all those things so asynchronous Uh, asynchronous, I'm not going to say asynchronous discipleship yet, but because I believe that you've got, that occurs in the context of a relationship. It doesn't just, it has, it it has to, um, you know, there's going to be knee to knee and eye to eye. Um, and a lot of times with guys, some shoulder to shoulder, you know, kind of time.
1: I think we're going back guys to, I mean, this is just my opinion, but it sure feels like. In in theory, we're needing to shift back to a discipleship model and a, and a discipleship movement that that looks like remember the old days when we would like we had a mentor and we would go to breakfast like once a week or you know and not that that is going to be able to happen but the mindset I think of the of the person who's showing up in a congregation who's part of your church part of your house they're serving they're they're leaning in. Is they expect access. The, the average person today expects access and they want to, they want to validate that what that communicator, teacher, pastor, preacher is saying is true, but they also want a relationship. You said it, Todd. They want a relationship. Now, can can everybody have that? No. But the the premise that I expect it if I'm in your church is is arguably real because we live in a world now where everybody's connected. And so the expectation is, is I'm going to get access to you. So how do you create that? That's a big question. Um, and it's also true that reality is this: like the the more I feel like I'm getting to create what we're what we're building here, the more I buy into it. So if so, think of your lay leaders, the priesthood of all believers. I mean, it. This is this is. I hear a lot of theorists and a lot of futurists. And these are people who follow Jesus, who are talking about that COVID has has accelerated priesthood of all believers as a new mindset and 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 posture we have to have. So I need to I need to like uh, as they did in Tombstone, they gave the old sheriff's badge right to everybody to be able to like carry out the law. As as a pastor, I need to give the sheriff's badge. To as many as my of my lay leaders to, to let them carry the weight of the responsibility of discipleship. And that, that's a shift too. So no longer is it just, well, just show up, leader. No, now it's going to be you show up and you're leading, like you're discipling, you're you're carrying weight, you're potentially like part of our solution and part of our product, part of the resource that we're creating here as, as our church. And that's going to make mean like the average lay leader. They can't just show up now and, and coast. And I I think they want to buy in though. I think that's the difference nowadays is they're saying like, put me in coach, give me the sheriff's badge. Like I want to carry more weight and, but you have to invite them into that.
0: Well, you can't, you can't, part of it is there are (laughs) pastors listening right now. They're like, no, no, I invite them in. I beg for them. To come in. And first of all, I would say desperation is not a good look. Second, I would say, um, are you really are you just asking them to carry your water the way you want it? I mean, you know, part of the part of the democratization of discipleship, the democratization of development in the church is to make sure people have clarity because you can't just give it to them and then not know your vision values and what the wind looks like or what the next step. Like you, part of it is we have not been disciplined enough to be clear enough to allow them to carry that weight. And we've enjoyed carrying the weight or our job or our own identity is, is caught up in carrying the weight. And it's not just pastors and staff. It's also some key lay people as well. So in order to, to do this, it's a cultural shift. Yep. It's a cultural shift that
1: happens. Your highly competent and capable lay leader is not going to come to uh, the, you know, the the lobby to the volunteer sign up table. They're not. Sorry, but they will respond if you reach out to them personally, or if say, a
0: leader that you've already brought in and is on your front row. Yes. Reaches out to them. And personally. going
2: back to one thing yes. you said earlier about yeah. content being a commodity that goes for sermons also. So the preaching has to um, kind of flow out of the pastor's deep connection with the flock. I mean, it has to be so obvious that he's preaching out of the connection with the people. And, and his preaching is very communal and it's talking about what God's doing in the midst of us not just exposition of scripture that's what's going to keep people connected to their local church because their pastor's speaking on behalf of the flock the, the the powers in the
1: group just like you said i think that there's there's a lot of wisdom in that what do you, ben what do you see shifting in have you seen some communication communicators and preachers who have done that well well that you've you know been watching? it's hard
2: because you know i get snapshots of guys or i hear their staff talk about them you know there's, there seems to be the extremes out there where the pastor just kind of holds up all week and then comes out to the pulpit to say, thus saith the Lord. And then there's the other guy who just lives with the sheep all week, but has almost nothing to say on Sunday. And people are a little bit tired of it, but they love him so much, they don't want to be honest with him. We, we really need to find <laughs> that pastor and develop that pastor that does both of those things equally well, that balances his time and energy well enough. And it's really hard in local context. And every given week, it's a moving target, but you, you've got to be deep enough that you have enough fresh experiences with Jesus that you're speaking out of the overflow of a heart that's full of God, and yet you have a heart for your people. And uh, it's, it's, I think right now, a really depressing time for pastors. I think, you know, there's just not good feedback after the sermon. There's not good interaction during the sermon. You don't know who's listening. You get a sense that it's more of a coffee house kind of atmosphere at home. People are kind of listening to him, but kind of not. He's on in the background. And so it's demotivating even, I think, right now to the pastor to develop great messages because he's like, well, I'm not even sure they're listening. I'm not. I mean, pastors are humans. They need some feedback. And I think it's hard. It's a really hard season. You know, it's an out of season kind of experience right now for preachers and pastors. And so I, I mean, I I hurt for those guys out there in the trenches. It's not an easy season. I
1: I would just add this encouragement too, for that pastor who might feel the, what the weight of what you just said. And it even feels, you know, somewhat a sense of anxiety or that, that they're not, they're not, you know, crushing it because their church is smaller. Here's the reality. Here's the good news right now. And going forward, small is the new big, like, people want something that's real and it's that it's personal. So it's, and, and this is going to be true for the next several years. I mean, especially coming out of, of COVID, like the the reason your church is now unique is because people know each other. So actually see that as part of your secret sauce that, that regardless of whether you're gathering in person or your, your teaching is struggling or, but, like the the, the the pain point of many people in your congregation right now is that they haven't seen other friends in person. So, and, and you have a competitive advantage with that. Yeah, that's really
2: good. That's really good. Well, Brad, man, it's been great talking with you. So much good stuff here about just movements and conferences and how God breathes on certain, certain events. Uh, man, it's wonderful to finally get to meet you face to face. Thanks for being on with us today.
1: You too, man. It's been too long. Uh, I, you were, I wasn't even sure you actually existed. I thought you were just like a shadow. You were, you were, you were the, the Lifeway enterprise, just, just having this, you know, larger than life personality that they had created, well, I, uh, you know, that really didn't exist, but you actually well, are real.
2: It's great to be on, on the show with you. Uh, Todd, thanks for having me on again. I love co-hosting 5LQ.
1: Absolutely. Uh, when do we get? When do we get a? When do we get a Ben Mandrell podcast? That's the question. We are actually working on one right now. Obviously,
2: the the yes. seventeen months since I came on as president, as you can imagine, have been quite tumultuous. Uh, <laughs> you haven't been doing anything. You've just been sitting around. Uh, I, I we just ha- drinking Seven right. Up, and you know. But we're. I think who drinks Seven it's, Up? It's all the fog is lifting. We're we're getting set in some direction now we're, we're experiencing, I think, some moments of clarity. We're getting out of some things that we can't afford to focus on anymore. And so, man, I felt like the first year and a half has really been me just being a student of the organization, trying to learn as much as I can about the people, the heart of the people and the mission of Lifeway. And, and then what does the next season look like? Cause it needs to look entirely different than, um, than last season. Let's just embrace that. No more, you know, trying to put new wine in old wine skins. Like let's, Let's, let's create something new, but still has, you know, a connection with the past. That's what we're trying to do.
0: What's been fun for me, Brad, is, uh, this conversation mirrors the conversations that, um, I've been on with Ben in, uh, in multiple denominations, as well as our own just groups of pastors and just trying to figure out, you know, what their needs are. And especially now, um, you know, during the midst of this, but coming out of this, you know, what do churches really need and how do we come alongside them to resource them well um, to reach their community? Because we know we can't do it. And, and you know, just like we're talking about the, the pastors being able to take a step back and say, I can't do all this on my own. I have to, as you said, uh, deputize, you know, all these different people in, in the town if, if we're going to win. Um, so just you know, as I know, a lot of us um, have different taglines that that we've heard, and a lot of us are you know trying to maybe change our taglines as we uh, close out our sermon each week. And one of those is you know you've been sent. Well, that's awesome uh, if you're sending them out, but just remember that you have to shift your style of um, communicating. You have to shift your style of ministry really your culture in order for that to happen. If you're shifting from, you know, people are vessels to be filled uh, to torches to be lit, then you have to, you have to really live that out in the day-to-day work of the ministry. And that's, what's exciting now is so many people have the opportunity to make that shift now during this time and come out even stronger. So thank you so much, Brad, for being um, a voice to leaders for so many years and also curating those voices and um, just thanks for being on with us today. And, uh, I'm sure you'll be back soon. Oh, and last thing, Brad Lominick actually has his own podcast. I do. You should talk about that. Cause I didn't even introduce you. I act like everybody knows you. Um, no, that's all right. what's your podcast. And then I'll, I'll, we'll say, we'll say good yeah, re- night to the people.
1: real quick, a H3 leadership podcast. And it, I named it that because that's the book name and I didn't have a better name. So I just went with H3 Leadership, but it's not about the book. The the point of the podcast is curating the best of what leaders need to know. So it is a curation podcast, meaning that every episode I'm giving recommendations on books, on articles to read, on new voices to check out, on the latest videos to watch, on other podcasts to listen to and also have some guests on that are shorter, shorter interviews. But, but really the, the, the value of my podcast is that I'm going to, I'm going to filter this, the things that you don't have time to filter in order to come up with some of the best links and recommendations that you need to know about. So you can just search H3 leadership on your podcast app or H3leadership.com. You can find it there.
0: And while you're there, leave us a rating and review. Thanks for listening. That's (laughs) That's
1: right.